Hi, and welcome to Straight Shot Radio. My name is Johnny Slick, and I'm the owner and head coach at Straight Shot Training. On today's show, we have three questions that were given to me pertaining to flexibility and isolation exercises. One of my certifications is a certified mobility trainer, so these questions I received through Facebook and Instagram have me pretty excited to share these answers with you all in detail. So let's start out with Larry's question. Larry asks, It seems that static stretching of muscles has gone out of fashion. What's the best way to increase flexibility, which is more of a challenge as I get older? So yes, Larry, you do tend to lose up to 10% of your flexibility each decade as you get older. And that's a rough estimate, but that's that's pretty much true for most people unless you're really keeping up with your flexibility. Whether you keep up with it or not, though, muscles tend to lose elasticity as you age, as your muscles age with you. So you can do things to combat your muscles getting stiffer as you get older, but that's just naturally something that happens. So, so this is a great question. Larry wants to stay ahead of the natural process of muscle aging, and so he's going to try to stay ahead by doing flexibility techniques, but he wants to know what's the best way to do it because static stretching isn't as big as it used to be. Now, static stretching isn't necessarily bad, but it's probably not the most effective use of your time. It went almost completely out of style, and nobody was doing static stretching. They thought that it was bad because there was a study that came out that showed that static stretching, and this is holding a muscle at the end range of its flexibility, so like laying on your back and pulling your leg up towards your chest to stretch your hamstrings and holding there for 30 seconds, that's a static stretch. You pull the muscle into a stretch and then hold it there. There was a study that came out a while back that showed that static stretching actually decreases the muscle's power when you try to do an exercise after it. So back then we realized, oh, static stretching is not good for warm-ups. Now, still, if you look, though, at any sport or... Uh, artistic method like dance or anything like that that is very athletic and then involves high ranges of flexibility, these people are still using static stretching to increase range of motion because it still works. You still see gymnasts and dancers and uh, anybody who's in it, like divers in a sport where you have to express huge ranges of motion and you need to be able to you know fold completely in half for some of these things, you still see them doing static stretching because it's still beneficial. I wouldn't do it before your workouts, but you can still do it if it's relevant to what your goals are. So if you uh, want to be able to uh, have an easier time in yoga, or if you're a diver, you're going to need to do it. If you're a dancer, you're going to need to do it. If you're a gymnast, you need to do it. But for what Larry's asking, it probably isn't the best use of his time. So uh, yeah, I guess the way he said it is going out of fashion. It definitely has gone out of fashion in the average gym goer, but I don't think it's totally... Uh, not important. I think it's just there are better ways to work on your flexibility depending on how much time you have. It's just another technique that can be used, but I want to share with you some other techniques and then we'll help Larry figure out which one's best for him. So let's talk about the types of stretching that we have. We have static stretching, which is what we just talked about. We have active stretching. So now let's still use that hamstring example. You're laying on your back and you just use your leg to, your leg muscles to pull your leg up towards your chest Hold it there, pull as hard as you can, using only your leg to pull it towards you. So you're using your hip flexors now. And then you relax your legs. So you're actually using your hip flexors to stretch your hamstrings. That's the same thing. Uh, you can do this with me now. If you're standing up, I want you to take your right arm, it's right beside your right pocket, and I want you to reach up as high as you can. 
reach, 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 and keep reaching back as far as you can past your ear, and then relax. That is an active stretch for your lats. You may have felt that under your armpit a little bit when you really reached back. So active stretching is using another muscle to stretch another muscle. And the reason I like this one is because you're actually learning to contract and create tension in that range of motion. You're not just grabbing something and pulling it there. So active is a strategy he could use. Another one is dynamic stretching. Dynamic stretching, you would think arm swings, leg swings, torso twists, the things that if you've ever taken a class with me, these are the things that we do to warm up because we can get your heart rate up at the same time we are loosening up the joints by taking them through a broad range of motion. The nice thing about uh, dynamic stretching is that it can be uh, very functional because it's going to look a lot like the things you're going to be doing. So leg swings with a toe touch, so swing your leg forward, swing your leg back, reach down and touch the ground, that's a good hamstring warm-up for deadlifts or single leg deadlifts because it kind of looks like a deadlift. So dynamic stretching has become a lot more popular, especially with the functional fitness crowd. The only problem with dynamic stretching is that you're still swinging things into ranges of motion and using the weight of your limbs. You're not actually creating a lot of tension. So if you're only doing dynamic stretching, you might be able to swing your leg pretty high, but if you were to actually just try to lift your leg up, you wouldn't really actually have that much hamstring flexibility. So that's just another method to use. Uh, another one would be PNF stretching, and it's a long one, it's proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. So what this means is you are going to contract the muscle that you're trying to stretch and then relax it and then stretch it some more. So a long fancy name for contract relax. So let's go back to our hamstring. You're laying on your back, you're going to lift your leg up so that it's straight up in the air and you're going to grab onto the back of like your knee or your calf. Then you're going to try to push your leg down towards the floor while you hold it still with your hands. And you're going to create a lot of hamstring tension. You're going to hold that contraction for five to six seconds and then you're going to relax. And when you relax, you're actually going to be able to pull that limb back farther because that contraction sequence that you have actually triggers a relaxation response in the muscle because it kind of tricks it into thinking it's not being stretched because you know your muscles have these things called mechanoreceptors inside them where they can tell when they are being stretched or when they're being lengthened. So whenever you do contract, relax, or proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, or PNF for short, you are kind of shutting down that stretch reflex for a second so that you can pull that limb back a little farther. This is a great way to increase range of motion where it's a little bit active and a little bit static and you are contracting into the new range of motion. So while you're pulling that limb back with your hands, you're also using your hip flexor. This one has a lot of bang for your buck when it comes to creating range of motion. And PNF stretching does not have the negative effect on power output that static stretching does uh, in this, and when it was compared to static stretching in those studies. So PNF, I would say, let's go ahead and mark that for Larry. That would be a really good one for him to spend not as much time on his flexibility and really maximize his uh, return on investment when it comes to the time that he is spending on it. Then there are other things outside of stretching that he can do to increase his flexibility. And now this is what I'm really excited about when it comes to the way the fitness industry is going now is because this used to be like a fringe subject. We just called it mobility. And thanks to Dr. Kelly Starrett and a lot of people on Instagram and Facebook, it's really exploded to where now like when I hand somebody a lacrosse ball and tell them to roll out their traps, they don't look at me like I'm crazy. They actually understand what I'm talking about. So mobilizations are different 
strategies to create range of motion that typically are followed by you actually moving in that range of motion. So you're doing something to get you ready for squatting or overhead pressing, something like that. There's different ones, a lot of different ones, but the ones I want to talk to you about that kind of encapsulate the majority of it would be joint capsule mobilizations, which is where we are trying to do things to get the joint to function the way it's supposed to. So if you take your left hand now, I know I'm making you guys act out stuff. It's just the easiest way for me because I'm a very visual coach whenever I do this, but just follow me along for a second. If you have your left hand, you make a C with your left hand. Make a fist with your right hand and put your fist into that C, okay? That is where your hip joint or sorry, your, your, uh, the ball of your femur, your leg bone should fit into your hip socket. It's called your acetabulum. If that's sitting in there, that can roll and twist and do all the things it needs to do. Now, if you have that C and you have that fist that you're making and you pull your fist out so it's out towards your fingers, when it's forward in a capsule like that, it can't twist the way it's supposed to. It can't rotate up and down. It can't roll or anything like that correctly because it's running into the edges of that joint. So when you do joint capsule mobilizations, you are manipulating the way that that bone articulates in that joint. And that has a huge effect on your squat depth, uh, when you do it for your shoulders, the way your shoulders feel overhead, how much external rotation you have. So if you're gonna be doing things like handstands or if you're gonna do a bench press or anything like that, you need to have external rotation. This is really gonna help that out. So I have a few of those on YouTube if you look up uh, hip capsule mobilization or kettlebell shoulder mobilization under my page, Straight Shot Training, you'll be able to see those if you're having trouble visualizing what I'm trying to say here. So joint capsule mobilizations, that's another one, I, Larry, I would say PNF stretching and joint capsule mobilizations are so far the ones I think would be best for you. Uh, other ones are banded traction or distraction. This is where you're now putting a band around uh, a bone. So you're you put a band around your wrist or your leg and it's pulling away from the joint and you're going to then be able to get a bigger stretch because you've opened it up a little bit. Um, so that's just a, it's a different type of static stretching, but still technically it's a static stretch unless you make it active. So when I have people do a banded shoulder stretch by putting their hand through a band, the band is wrapped around a pull-up bar, they walk away, so it's really kind of stretching their arm out a little bit. Uh, my arm is out, out behind me, it's kind of pulling me backwards, and I'm looking straight forward. And as it's pulling back, I try to squeeze my shoulder blades together so I can contract in that new range of motion, or I try to twist my arm a little bit back and forth so I can contract into the range of motion. I know this kind of sounds abstract. I wish I could like have you guys see videos of while I'm talking about these things, but what you're trying to do is create range of motion by moving in and out of it, by using your muscles, by contracting and relaxing there. So that's banded traction and distraction. You're kind of pulling the bones in a way that you're, that's going to be beneficial for flexibility. Sounds more violent than it is. Uh, next, we have soft tissue work. This is your foam rolling, your lacrosse ball. Uh, now, Graston tools have become popular, kind of the, the scraping. Anything that's going to improve the sliding surfaces or the pressure of the soft tissue work, creating that relaxation response because those mechanoreceptors that we talked about earlier are responsive to pressure. So soft tissue work, typically in the straight shot training program, you'll see with lacrosse balls and foam rollers, but there's a lot of other implements that you can use. This one, for Larry, I know that he has, because he takes some of my classes, I know that he has a, a tight overhead position, especially in one of his shoulders. So I would really use soft tissue work as a corrective stretch for your traps and your lats and your scapula, all of that stuff. So 
maybe the soft tissue work could be used to address the really tight spots on you. And then the other stretching techniques could be kind of used more generally across your body to make sure that you keep that full range of motion. Um, but you can do soft tissue work in the entire body. It's just, you do have to take some time with it. Typically, I like two to three minutes per piece of tissue that you're working on. So if you're working on using a cross ball in your lats, spend two to three minutes on one lap before you switch sides. So soft tissue work does take time to relax. When people just jump on a foam roller, roll up and down a couple of times and they're finished, they think it feels good, they actually haven't made a lasting change in the muscle. So I would I would use that, Larry, for your tighter uh, spots. Use that soft tissue work. Then we have compression or flossing. You, these are uh, bands that kind of look like uh, actually, I use bicycle inner tubes whenever I first started getting into this stuff. It's just these uh, straps, elastic straps that you wrap around a, a section like your forearms or something. If you're having uh, some elbow issues, you can really wrap it tight around your forearm, move your hand around, open it up, do some uh, some body weight bicep curls, get it moving around, twist your wrist around, take it off, and then when the blood flows back into that area, it'll feel warmed up and feel much looser. So that's compression or flossing. You can also do... Uh, flossing around the knee where you wrap a band really tight just below the kneecap and just above the kneecap. Do some squats, some lunges. You take the band off and everything feels nice and warmed up and loose. Compression and flossing is another good one to do before you exercise because it's not going to create in itself a lasting change, but it can get you warmed up and feeling good so that whenever you go to squat or lunge or something like that where you're using your knees, you're able to move in a better range of motion during the exercise. And it's actually the exercise itself that's going to help you with the flexibility more than anything else. So I would say to wrap this up for you, Larry, that the most time effective things would be in your warmups, do some dynamic stretches, but you don't need to do a ton and a ton and ton of it. You know, your arm swings, leg swings, trunk twists, things like that to get it warmed up. Then use joint capsule work appropriate to your day's lifts. So if it's a lower body lift, then look up that uh, either banded hip gliding or the uh, hip capsule mobilization. Those are the two videos on my YouTube page that will probably help, help, help you out the most. Then use PNF and active stretching for your tight spots. And then soft tissue work for those spots that are more problem areas for you. And if you have some extra time, maybe you're watching TV or something, you want to get the foam roller out, you can roll out anything at a daily on a daily basis, and it's not going to be uh, it's not going to do any harm that way. So just think: Can I spend 10 minutes a day working on my flexibility? And just pick one of those things to do. And if you just work at it 10 minutes a day, and you think about 70 minutes a week of mobility. If you're not already doing it. That's going to make a huge, huge difference. So uh, if you are looking for any of those videos I was talking about, or if you just want a mobility playlist, if you go to my YouTube page, there's a whole mobility playlist just on rolling out with a lacrosse ball and a foam roller for the entire body so you can see how to do each body part. So just straight shot training is the name on the YouTube page, and you can find that playlist right there. Okay, so for our next question, Bailey on Instagram asks, I have super tight hamstrings, which is a huge issue with flexibility in dance. I stretch them when warm with all the science of an obsessive PhD student, and yet every day my left outer knee ligament kills and it feels like it's tearing. Another problem for dance. I compensate and use my back and hips instead to fake dancer flexibility, but it's not from my hamstrings as it should be. I cannot seem to isolate a decent hamstring stretch and make flexibility progress without a ligament strain. Thoughts, ideas? All right, so uh, Bailey, anytime I hear knee pain, 
front of the knee pain, back of the knee pain, any pain around the knee, I'm typically, typically going to look at the mobile joints above and below the knee. Now, I know the pain's coming at the knee or at the back of the knee, but the reason why I'm going to look above and below is because the knee isn't a mobile joint. It just flexes and extends. The ankle and the hip are very mobile joints. Now, every stable joint, like your elbows, your knees, and your low back, are sandwiched by two mobile joints. So, your elbow has your wrist and your shoulder joints on either side of it, and those joints are mobile. Then your knee has your ankle and your hip joints on either side of it, and those are mobile. And your low back has your hips and your thoracic spine, or your, your kind of middle upper back, and those need to be mobile so that your low back can stay stable. Now the problem is if you're missing mobility and stability within that range of motion in a mobile joint, then the immobile joint is going to have to move and stabilize itself in a way that it's not supposed to. So I'm guessing that that pain that you're having, that lateral insertion of your biceps femoris, that's that hamstring muscle kind of on the outside, I'm thinking that may be caused by weakness in your glutes. Uh, this is both in hip extension and hip abduction, so your leg moving away from your body. I just kicked something in here. Um, your leg moving away from the body. I don't know why me demonstrating it seems to help, but uh, I guess if I was demonstrating in one of my classes, I would be doing this. Uh, but that's probably what I'm thinking might be going on because your hamstring is having to stabilize the knee in a way that it's not supposed to. The glutes are supposed to be doing their job to uh, rotate and stabilize the hips throughout that, and your ankles are supposed to be doing... Of course, her ankles are working overtime anyway because she's a dancer. So there's something going on where that ham that hamstring is doing too much work. Anytime you have pain, it's your body's way of saying, I don't like the way you're moving, or you're doing this too much to me, because good movement should feel good. So something's happening where that hamstring is getting tight because it's being overused, and it's doing a job it's not supposed to do, and stretching is not taking care of it, and it's probably inflamed. It sounds like it's very inflamed uh, where you're talking about. Now, dancers are extremely strong, but like Bailey said, they use compensatory methods to cheat range of motion and gain end range strength if they don't have it. It's not really have, sometimes they don't have the end range strength. It's just they're so good at using their bodies fluidly that they can move into positions that they don't actually have the ability to contract in and out of. And all of us do it. Uh, with anything, your body tries to seek the path of least resistance. So, in order to try to retrain Bailey's mechanics so that the hamstrings aren't taking so much of this load from the hips. I would start with unilateral hip extension exercises. So unilateral meaning one leg at a time, hip extension. Uh, if you were to fold over at your hips now and stand up straight, you just flexed forward and then you did hip extension to come back up. So I hope somewhere that you're listening to this that you're trying all these things out because that'd be kind of funny to see somebody listening on an iPod and doing all these exercises, but it's good. It's an active recovery day for you. So unilateral hip extension exercises that involve the hamstring specifically. So single leg deadlifts. Uh, keeping that knee slightly bent so you're going to feel a stretch when you go down and then contract throughout that range on the way up. It's going to build some range of motion and some strength in that, in that glute and hamstring so they work together the way they're supposed to. You can also do single leg uh, glute raises, single leg hamstring curls on a stability ball that involve a glute raise. And you could do those after some type of joint capsule work like the banded hip gliding or, knee, or kneeling hip capsule mobilization. 
uh, that's on YouTube that I was talking about before with Larry's case. And another one is the box hamstring mobilization. So this kind of looks like a stretch, but what you're doing is you're trying to push that femur into the back of the socket like we talked about before while you are stretching the hamstring. Now, whenever you do the kneeling hip capsule mobilization, you're going to find that immediately you're going to have more hamstring range of motion. Well, it's not because we actually stretch the hamstring at all. It's we put the joint where it's supposed to be. We put the femur into the acetabulum correctly. So that's actually going to shorten the hamstring and take it off tension because if you're if your femur is pulled away from your hip, since the hamstrings are attached to the hip and then at the lower leg, it's actually going to stretch that hamstring. It's going to stay stretched all day, which could be happening. And that could be why you have even more problems whenever you go to stretch your hamstring. You feel that that pain and that lateral insertion of your biceps femoris, uh, your hamstring muscle. So you want to make sure that you're working into the range of motion that you're creating. So when you're doing these stretches, make sure that you're doing exercises where you are able to access that new range of motion. Once you are done your, your warm-up and your stretching and your dance routine, at which is, is definitely, your in your case, is your workout because um, you do so much of it. Bailey runs a dance company called Company 360. So after all of that dancing, I would spend some time doing some soft tissue work, just like I was talking about earlier. So you could foam roll the hamstrings and the glutes. I would really focus on the belly of the muscle. I know it feels like that the problem is down by the knee, but I would focus higher up. Uh, you can also foam roll the calves. Your calves also cross that junction of your knee and attach on the lower end of your upper leg, uh, your femur. So that you, if just rolling out your hamstrings, rolling out your calves may help a little bit. I would spend a lot of time though with a lacrosse ball. Take a lacrosse ball and sit on a hard chair and put that lacrosse ball right in the belly of your hamstring. And you should find some spots that are immediately going to light you up. And sit as much weight as you can on that one leg and then kick your leg straight and then back down. And kick your leg straight with your toes facing out and back down. Kick your leg straight with your toes facing in and back down. And then roll side to side. You're going to find these spots called trigger points, these hard knots of muscle that that pressure is going to signal that relaxation response in. So that lacrosse ball is going to be like a deep tissue massage for you, but it's a lot cheaper. Lacrosse balls cost three bucks. So you can definitely get a lacrosse ball and work three to five minutes each side to try to make that change because you do have something going on down in that in that uh, lower hamstring area. Um, I know, don't know exactly what the exact point of your pain is from what it sounds like, though. It sounds like you said hamstring and you're having trouble with your hamstring flexibility. So I'm guessing it's the hamstring attachment from your biceps femoris on your uh, um, lower leg. So try out that lacrosse ball and see if that helps at all. Uh, another thing is with dance specifically, a lot of the bar stretches that you do involve the leg being out to the side. So um, if you have a ballet bar, now you can follow along with me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you can put your leg up on a bar and you're standing facing the mirror and your leg is out to the side. Now the adductors or the muscles that pull your legs in are going to get a huge stretch. And your hamstrings, you might feel it a little bit. But when your leg is out like that, the muscle that is not getting stretched is that lateral head of the biceps femoris, which is the attachment on your lower leg that's causing you the issue. So all those stretches out to the side are not going to be helping out that hamstring that much. You obviously still need to do them, but that's not going to take care of if this muscle is not uh, functioning correctly because it's so tight, it needs to be um, working correctly in its correct range of motion. You might want to try laying on your back and bring your legs straight up 
So if it's your left leg, laying on your back, bring your left leg up, and then take your right hand and grab the outside of your left ankle. I'll slow down so you can do this along with me. And then as you pull your leg back towards you, you're actually gonna pull it towards your right shoulder. So it's a bit of a diagonal stretch. Then you should feel that stretch in that outside of your hamstring. Once you're here, let's go ahead and do that PNF stretch that we talked about earlier. So you're going to push your leg away from your chest while your hand is pulling it towards your chest. Hold for five to six seconds, relax, and you should be able to pull it a little bit farther. Uh, you can also do this with your toes pointed or your toes pointed towards you, depending on uh, what the stretch feels like. If there's any burning or pinching feeling, like a nerve feeling on the stretch, that's when you want to stop. Your nerves don't like to be stretched. If you're having some neuropathy, something uh, larger than a muscular issue, you don't want to stretch whenever you feel that pain. So uh, PNF stretching, joint capsule mobilizations, and soft tissue work. And then whenever you are uh, actually uh, dancing, I know, and this is the trouble, is you have to have your toes facing out. When your toes are facing out when you're doing ballet or anything, uh, I think that's first position, right? I, I better know this because my wife is a ballet teacher. Uh, so whenever your toes are facing out, the, the, one of the secondary roles of the biceps femoris, that lateral head, is it rotates your foot out like that. So even though your hamstrings, you typically think of them as bringing your, uh, bending your knee or um, helping you with hip extension, they also rotate your feet out, which is why most dancers always have their toes out. Whenever I get them to squat with their toes straight forward, they have a lot of trouble. But when you're doing this for years and years and years and years, your body starts to kind of mold into the position you always work it in. So since you have to do this for your sport, because I always uh, talk um, in, in sport terms because uh, whether you are an athlete on the field or a dancer or a gymnast or a swimmer or a stay-at-home parent, your sport is the thing that you do the most throughout the day. Uh, that's kind of the way I think of it. So if I was training an athlete for football and I wanted him to be better at football positions, I would have him try to work in his football positions as much as he could in the gym. And then I know he's going to get into some bad positions on the field, but the more positions we get him in that are good, the better he's going to be. Same thing with dancers. I know that you're going to have to have your toes facing out and your body's going to be in some strange shapes when you're dancing, but when you're in the gym and when you're walking around your house, your everyday stuff, I want you to try to keep your toes straight forward and keep them there as much as possible because that's anatomically the way you're supposed to be standing, but depending on your sport or what your hobbies are, you may have to get out of those positions. So I'm not going to be super strict. Some people uh, wants you to modify everything so you're always in perfect alignment. That's just not that's not feasible. You you can't live your whole life like totally rigid. You've got to be able to do the things you like to do. So I would say, Bailey, when you're not dancing, try to keep those toes straight forward so we're not placing undue stress on that lateral head of the biceps femoris by having your toes turned out all the time because they are already going to have to be when you dance. So hopefully that helps. You guys can check out Bailey on Instagram. She's at catching breaths. She has a company called Company 360. They're a dance company and they have a video on YouTube for organ donation that's pretty awesome. You guys can check it out there. Now for our last question, Ethan on Facebook asks, what place do isolation or single joint exercises have in a functional fitness program? When and how should they be implemented? Man, I was so excited to see Ethan comment this question to me on Facebook. Uh, Ethan's been asking me questions for a long time now. I've met Ethan I met him probably six years ago. So I was working at a desk at a gym one day. He was doing SEAL Fit at the time, which is like CrossFit for Navy SEALs. At really, really, really rough workouts. 
this man was leaving a trail of blood everywhere from his torn hands from a pull-up bar. I actually walked over with, to him with some towels. I was like, uh, hey, man, your hands are bleeding. And I handed him a bunch of towels so he could clean his stuff up. And uh, ever since then, we started uh, talking about training. That was whenever I was first kind of looking into CrossFit. He was super into seal fit. And then we became good friends. We started competing in CrossFit competitions together. Uh, we trained together a lot. We were very competitive with each other. Um, Ethan's just awesome. He's a great friend of mine. And he is notoriously inquisitive. He's, asking, he's asked me a ton of questions over the years. And I think that his inquisitiveness has actually made him a super knowledgeable athlete and coach because he doesn't just just I mean, he'll do whatever you tell him to do, but he'll ask why first, and he'll really want to know, well, why am I doing this? Uh, he wants to understand everything behind the methods that he's employing in his own workouts and in the workouts that he prescribes for his athletes. So this was an awesome question. I was really thankful that Ethan brought this up because this is a hot-button topic, and it has been for a while because isolation movements, so think bicep curls, leg extensions, lateral raises, rotator cuff work, uh, hip extension, just pure hip extension work, uh, anything that's going to be just using one joint has been hated on by the functional fitness crowd for years. But now, finally, with the rise of prehab exercises or preparatory exercises in the fitness world, the functional fitness world, people are trying to change their mind. Full disclosure, if you'd asked me this question probably Four years ago, I would have said you don't need to have isolation exercises. You can do everything by just using compound movements, and everyone just needs to squat more to get better at squatting. And I will admit that I was wrong whenever I thought those things, and I have learned over the past few years that there is a place for these. So first, let me just explain what isolation versus compound movements are. Isolation is where you're moving at, at just one joint, Compound movements are where you're moving at multiple joints. So a compound movement for your knees would be a squat because you're moving at your knees, ankles, and hips. An isolation movement for your knees would be leg extension or leg curl because you're only moving at the knee. So that's just what we're talking about when it comes to isolation or compound. We might also say single joint versus multi-joint. So what purpose do they serve? I think that preparatory exercises and finisher exercises are where we should place isolation movements. So when it comes to squats, if you are having trouble stabilizing your low back by keeping your spine all one piece, so abs tight, butt tight, sitting down the bottom of a squat without your pelvis rounding under or your back arching some super crazy way, if you are having trouble maintaining that stability, you can do preparatory exercises for the hips that will teach you how to contract into that range of motion because you really should only be squatting as far as you can actually pull your knees towards your chest. If you're laying on your back flat and you were to bend your knees and bring them towards your chest and then out slightly, kind of like you're doing a squat but your legs are off the ground and you're laying on your back, if you can pull those up all the way up like towards your chest, that's great because that means that you can now stabilize yourself with your hip flexors in the bottom of that squat. But if you can't pull your knees up past 90 degrees and then you go to squat and your the weight is pushing you into that range of motion, you don't actually own that range of motion. You're just using a weight to push you into it and it's gonna cause you problems because you're gonna end up using muscles that aren't supposed to stabilize or move, start stabilizing and moving in ways that is gonna cause some pain down the line or immediately as soon as you do it. So one of my favorite exercises for 
creating range of motion in the bottom of your squat to warm up both the hip flexors in the front of your hip and the hip extenders, your glutes in the back of your hip, is an exercise called hip raise with hip flexion. And this is in the straight shot program. We use this on a lot of our squatting days. You're gonna be laying on your back with your knees bent like you're gonna do a sit up. And then you're gonna have a, sm a small band wrapped around your right foot. And that band's gonna be attached to a pull up bar. Then you're gonna push your butt straight up in the air using only your left leg. So I'm driving through my heel, using my glutes on my left side to push my hips up. Then with my right leg, I'm going to pull that band that's wrapped around my foot by bringing my knee to my chest. And I'm gonna keep my hips stable by keeping my hands on my hips, pull it all the way up towards my chest as far as I can, pause, and then I go back down. I'm gonna do sets of 15 on each side, two sets of 15 each side. And you're gonna feel exactly what it feels like to use your, your hip extensors and your hip flexors to pull you into that squat position. Now, laying on your back doesn't actually look like a squat because it's not. You're doing two leg your legs are doing two different things at once. So most people who hate on isolation exercises say, well, they're not functional because they don't look like anything you would do outside the gym. Well, they are functional because they help you with these compound movements that do look like things outside of the gym. If you are a runner, you need to be able to flex at one hip while your other hip extends. So this exercise would be great for a sprinter to warm up. Even though it doesn't technically really look like sprinting, you're laying on your back, it's still going to warm up the hips for that pattern. Another example I can use here is whenever we uh, bench press or strict press or anything upper body in the straight shot training program, we like to use an exercise called YTIW raises. And YTIW is the shape that your arms make whenever you do these exercises. If you go to Instagram, I've put up, I think, three different variations so far on Instagram of YTIW raises. Now, these are a single joint exercise because you're only, your arms are straight and you're only moving at your shoulder girdle. Your shoulder blades are, are sliding back and forth. You know, your shoulder blade actually has 14 different articulations. Your shoulder blades can go up and down, they can go side to side, they can rotate. Uh, towards the front, towards the back, they can rotate up and down, they can elevate, they can depress, uh, they can do all those and combinations of those separately uh, from each other. Um, it's an awesome joint, there's, there's a lot going on back there. So the YTIW raises can teach you how to organize that, that uh, scapula musculature so that you can keep a stable shoulder on your bench presses and your pull-ups and your overhead press so that you're not using your traps and overusing your deltoids to stabilize you on that press, they should be helping you with the motion. Your scapular should be stabilizing you. Well, in order to learn how to do that, you could press a lot and never learn how to do it. You could do a lot of pull-ups and never learn how to do it. Or you could use YTIW raises or other preparatory exercises that involve one joint to learn how to contract that musculature to keep you safer when you're doing your lifts. And you're going to see your lift numbers go up on your bench press and on your strict press. So once again, if it's making your functional lifts better, isn't it then functional to do an isolation exercise? I would argue that it is. Now, if we're talking about all of the isolation exercises and we can bring in curls, uh, bicep curls and tricep extensions and leg extensions and what people consider vanity exercises, are those okay? Now, when people say, well, uh, bicep curls are just people who are vain, I would argue, aren't all gym goers just a little bit vain? Like we all want to look good. Nobody wants to look, work out and look bad. Even people who are in functional fitness gyms and CrossFit gyms, they want to look good. That's they, you can say that that's not something you're, you're this 
important to you, but in the back of your mind, that's still why we do some of this stuff. It's still the same why we do uh, circuits and cardio and dieting, things like that, to try to maintain low body fat, not just because it's healthy, it's because people are a little bit vain. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think it's bad. I think it's just a waste of time if you only have a certain amount of time to work out. We don't program in bicep curls or tricep extensions or uh, leg extensions or those types of isolation movements in the straight shot training program because we want to get people in and out of the gym in under an hour. Because most people, that's all they have time for. I would rather you be using that time for mobility, your isolation exercises in your preparatory stuff that's going to help you with your lifts, and then your main lifts and your core work and then your cool down. Now, if you have time at the end of your workout and you want to do some bicep curls and you want to make your arms bigger by doing some tricep extensions and you want to do some some of the weird glute exercises that you see on Instagram that all the girls are doing, you can do that stuff and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't like when people really hate on different types of movement because if you're moving as something you like to do, then, then do it. It's just if your goal is to increase your bench press... Uh, you can do all the tricep extensions that you want and it's not going to necessarily make you that much better at bench press. So that would be a case where it might be a little bit of a waste of a time, waste of time. But if you are doing your preparatory exercises and you are doing a smart bench press program and you have a little bit extra time, you're like, you know what? I'm having trouble with my lockouts on my bench because I think my triceps are a little weak. Let me throw in some extra tricep press downs at the end to just kind of finish out the arms. That's totally fine too. And that may actually make you a little bit better at bench press. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I would say the bottom line is use isolation movements to increase your range of motion and stability before your lifts. And then you can use them to further isolate weak areas or for your quote unquote vanity stuff, the fun stuff at the end of the workout, if you have time and they're enjoyable. So think of isolation exercises in the beginning of your workout as like the salad and then you've got your meal, which is all of your main lifts, and then you've got your cupcake at the end, and that's your bicep curls and leg extensions and stuff like that. So uh, that was an awesome question, Ethan. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I do think that that needs to be talked about more in a lot of functional fitness gyms who are, aren't currently employing it, is the role of isolation exercises in making people more functional movers. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I really appreciate it. If you have a second to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating, that would be awesome. And if you have an extra couple of seconds after that to write us a review, that would be incredible. If you'd like to learn more about the Straight Shot Training program, you can head over to straightshottraining.com. You can also find us on social media using the handle at Straight Shot Training. Thanks again and have a great week, everybody.